It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's George. And we've got so many things to talk about today. We've First of all, it's Mother's Day. We're going to talk about that at the end. But just to start off, to make sure I don't forget, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and all the people playing the roles of moms out there. It's a hard job. It's a hard life. And I hope you're appreciated in life because it's it's great. So happy Mother's Day. Um, all right. Happy so, Mother's Day. That's right. Thank you, George. We're going to talk about the transfer portal. We're going to talk about grass versus not grass. We're going to talk about uh, men's tennis, which is really, you know, the, the main thrust of the show. If, if you really think about it, it's, it's men's tennis and nothing else. Um, Avery Henry, cancer free. We'll talk about that. That's great. Uh, some Stetson Bennett news. That's fun. That's always fun to get into. Let's go ahead and start with the transfer portal. One of the things I want to talk about this, this was published yesterday. And, and again, we're recording on Sunday, the 14th. Uh, Dan talked a lot about this on the website, posted about this on the website, wrote about this on the website, Ohio state in this new era of NIL and transfer portal and and people wringing their hands about, you know, the aforementioned, I think is doing pretty good. And, and, And what we've seen from Dan here is that not only are they doing a pretty good job at bringing guys in. And I think, you know, Ohio state fans are very well familiar with guys like, Trey Sermon, Justin Fields, etc. They've also done a really good job at retention. And I think that's probably even more important than doing really well in the transfer part. I mean, obviously you need to fill gaps and, and bringing in a guy like Justin Fields, like you can't deny the impact of that. That's enormous. But for team cohesion, for uh, Ohio State to be basically like one of, you know, very few teams not to have, you know, 10 transfer uh, you know, scholarship injured, whatever, um, since eight one of last year. That's that's pretty. That's wild to me. So I don't know what what is your take on how Ryan Day is doing with the transfer portal, keeping guys at Ohio State, and what that kind of looks like for the future. Well, I I'm happy to see that this has clearly been the most active season. I mean. Oh yeah, because they're. The, I mean, they they went from like three, one, two, three, and now they've got eight guys this year. Uh, yeah, so they had nine previously across the last four years. Right. So they're one short of having as many as they've had since the portal first opened uh, pre-pandemic. So uh, bear that in mind relative to how we put this in the context of Ryan Day's overall performance. Mm-hmm. I, I love this table that Dan made in the article. I, I love these little simple data tables because they they really help illustrate, even though there's there's no drawing or, or it's not charted in an actual data chart or anything, it's very easy to just see here exactly why the narrative around the portal being a problem for this team in recent seasons has taken shape because you go look at 2019 and Justin Fields, obviously, you know, that was pro I I can't imagine. He was the biggest name probably that you could have gotten like right when that portal era started. Oh yeah. And uh, that you couldn't have started off on better footing than that to supplement that then with Jonah Jackson, who ends up becoming an NFL draft pick mm-hmm. and a regular member now of, I believe, the Detroit Lions roster. That is a very, very strong sign for how your program is going to do in terms of intercepting potentially NFL caliber talent 
and then being able to prep them and get the most out of their draft stock. That's exactly what Jonah Jackson got out of leaving Rutgers in favor of coming to Ohio State for one season. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was reflected in how he ultimately did in the NFL draft and where he is now today. So they, you know, you can't really start better than that. Then you get Trey Sermon the year after that, and things are looking very rosy and good. And then you look at the last pair of seasons uh, following up the national championship appearance. Um, and it, it just, you know, it's there was going to be a natural uh, depression is a strong word. Uh, you don't want to say regression in this case because you don't we haven't necessarily seen the the talent step back. There's been contributions from the guys that have come in in these cases, but uh, Gayo Teoti uh, has not been, you know, I think people were hoping coming from USC was going to mm. be, you know, more of a starting caliber guy. McAllister, I think, was more of a layup kind of, surefire get in terms of oh that's you know jim Knowles bringing over one of his guys from okay right. state that was considered to be like a big continuity thing where it's like okay you know you got to have a guy who can teach other guys and, and to have that on the field is a big deal exactly so the pair of years leading this set a, a pace and a tone i think in terms of the kind of success and level of talent that they were able to get that just wasn't sustainable i think is more teams got a better sense of, you know, navigating the portal and the the talent needs just shifted. It's it's a very dynamic early stage environment, a wild rule change in terms of how teams can use it to better their roster. And I, I think it was natural to probably expect Ohio State was going to see some turbulence in that area as opposed to they're just going to keep hitting home runs year over year. You know, we don't, we don't uh, rebuild here. We reload. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, that's been the mantra for since I was a kid and it's just not a realistically sustainable thing when there's a dramatic rule change like this. So I'm encouraged by the, the volume of the newest class. We still have to see how they're going to play out, but it is an encouraging buck of the trend given, I mean, you know, five guys the last two years, and now they've got eight and addressing a variety of different needs and from a lot of different uh, impressive backgrounds, I think, too. So I'm encouraged and excited. The thing is, I think you can look at it two ways. I think you can look at it like, yes, they're bringing in eight dudes. It's awesome. You can have people who can contribute immediately. That's a big deal, particularly when you know, you're know you playing. Really, what you're doing as Ohio State is you've got three or four teams nationally that you're basically holding yourself against you're, you're you're judging yourself against and saying okay this has to be a year-to-year thing where there's no drop-off you can't rebuild and you know you right now the way to do that to make sure that you stay where you're at you maintain that position is through the transfer portal i also think though that you can go well why do they have so many holes to fill right why, why is this a an area of need like if you look for instance at the offensive line and you're like well that's awesome i'm glad you're you're bringing in these guys and you got the san diego state guy and he's going to come in and do a great job that's cool you also kind of hope that that's not a position that you find yourself in but i would also say to that first of all i mean another part and another big point about this article is that, you know, there's been a lot of cohesion at Ohio State over the years. That's awesome uh, in the era of, of transfers. But also, 
every other team's also doing this. You know what I mean? Like this is not unique to Ohio State, and they're all looking for you know transfers to fill holes and things like that. And it's not you know if you look at the transfer portal, a lot of the guys in the transfer portal are not when they go to new teams are not starters necessarily straight off the bat. They're not you know making a huge impact, and that that's what makes finding the right fit, finding the people that you really need in that portal all the more important because you could whiff, right? And and that's, you know, I think Ohio State in general, if you look at who they've brought in, they've done a pretty good job of finding guys to fill in, you know, spots and, and meet a need. But you got to be real careful about it sometimes. And so I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in some ways where, you know, if, if you really are leaning on some of these dudes to be a critical component of your team, that could be dangerous. Because, you know, and, and that's why I think when we look at the offensive line, we're like, this guy better be good. Because it's what's around that guy. It's what what's on that particular unit um, that's going to be able to, you know, either make that player who comes in look really great or put a ton of pressure on them and, you know, amplify maybe their deficiencies if they don't. So that's that's what can be difficult, I think. Let me ask you this. So you're, you seem to operate under the expectation these guys that have to hit the portal aren't usually starting caliber ready. So I'm curious, what was it like for you to watch Bryson Shaw at USC this past season? I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's with like any, I don't know. It, the thing is, here's... Let me let me restate what I'm I saying. I don't mean for that to be a loaded question either, because I probably have similar sentiments about it that you do. But well, I'm just curious what your thoughts are relative to what you just said. Because <laughs> because sometimes you see that and you're like, oh my god, like how how like what what you know you you get so angry. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, you get so mad, and then you see you see a player go elsewhere and do an amazing job, and you're like, okay, fine, like this is clearly a huge miss but that happens in the recruiting game as well okay and and that's kind of the thing that i'm getting at is for me yes it's really frustrating you're like come on however i also think that to me how i perceive it the transfer portal is just kind of extension of recruiting so you get a miss and and you're like okay that sucks and a guy goes on and does really well but to me that it feels like it's just more recruiting and it's something that you expect them, them meaning the coaches, to be good at, to maintain the roster, all that kind of stuff. But it, as frustrating as it can be, it, it's not like – I think in the past you would look at an athlete, you know, they sign with Ohio State, they're on campus or whatever, and it's like, that's it. They're locked down forever. But if you're looking at this new era of transfer portals and NIL and all that kind of stuff, you really can't think – of it that way right like players are going to go where they want to go and even if they're on campus even if they've worn the uniform even if they played in a couple games that's not going to change that calculus it still is a kind of a free-for-all and you just can't assume that a guy is going to be locked in you know forever just because they're wearing an an Ohio State uniform. And that sucks. And that's really hard for some people to wrap their head around sometimes, particularly if you've been a football fan for a really long time, because it's always been that way until the past couple of years. And that's understandable to be frustrated by that. But well, let, let me ask you a less loaded question. Okay. And if you're and if you're a Buckeye fan still carrying a flame for Bryson Shaw out there, I, I apologize for what <laughs> I previously asked. But, um, you know, one, I mean, another guy I think of, 
just in terms of who capitalized on the transfer portal in short order, that was obviously the starting quality is Jamison Williams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at a guy like that and a guy like Bryson Shaw, who, you know, may not have had his best success at Ohio State, but still ultimately turned it into a, you know, starting position in a, a very visibly even if USC's defense in many ways was ultimately their, you know, shortfall last season because it's yeah, but he wasn't was you know, he was Williams. like player, you know, he's a defensive player of the week in the Pac-12. Exactly, know, a couple of times. I mean, you know, he was he was a solid, good defensive back for them. Right. So what I'm wondering is, do you are you concerned that there may be as as the you know relative to that that table I stated earlier, there's only five years of data on it at this point. So as right. we get further and further into, you know, players seeing the patterns of how the portal emerges, do you would you be concerned that a place like Ohio State that consistently is is able to improve not just the the players that are on the field, but even the ones that aren't receiving as much opportunity that are then able to go to other universities and have success. Are you concerned that there may be a trend that emerges of players just or just that kind of reputation building around Ohio State as a program that, oh, you could just kind of go here as a rental, mm. almost like a sort of a, a brain drain in a sense, but more of a, a like an athletic sort of thing where yeah. people are just coming for the resources of improvement and getting builder. out. Right, exactly. I think that's a fair concern. I, I do think that that's you know a situation where it's like you know maybe a guy who could contribute, like a Bryson. I mean, Bryson Shaw is probably a great example of this, where you're like, man, that that's a dude you really really could have used in secondary. And then they'll say, you know, well, I went to Ohio State. Ohio State, you know, believed in me. They want to make me a starter. I wanted to go someplace else. And maybe that's not necessarily true, but I, I mean, it's a lot of work <laughs> to, go, to do all that. I think honestly, the guys who will be doing that are, are guys who would not necessarily be, you know, full fledged starters. You've seen that, for example, especially in the wide receiver room, right? Where it's like, you know, no hate on anybody who comes into Ohio state's wide receiver room. And maybe they're not one of the five-star guys there. Maybe they're just a four-star and they come in and they're like, <laughs> okay, I'm not getting playing time here. And they decide that they're going to go on and, and, you know, go to a different school and, and be really successful. I don't think anybody, first of all, would begrudge them for doing that because that's, that makes sense. Like you've got the best of the best of the best of the best of the best ahead of you. It's going to be really hard to find catches I think it's it's reasonable to say, hey, you know, Brian Hartline thought I was good enough to be in this room. I can go ahead and start pretty much anywhere else. And you saw that with Jamo, and and you know, I think and Caleb extent, Brown and Caleb Burton just a few weeks right. ago as well. That's right. And and so I don't I don't think that that's something that guys will go in with the intent of doing. But I also understand that first of all, a lot of the guys who would do that probably wouldn't end up being starters at Ohio State. Um, or at least not in the immediate future, right? Like not they not immediately in the way that they maybe could elsewhere. And I don't think there's anything wrong with them doing that if that's the case. So I don't think that'll be common, but I also think that that's not necessarily the worst problem to have, mostly because it's indicative of how good your other guys are. Um, I guess I would say I, I wouldn't say being an NFL factory is a bad thing. No, no, it's it, there. There are worse problems to have, right? <laughs> I mean. 
it's very it's much something. a first world problem. That's right. Problem That's all. right. I don't think any like a stray Vanderbilt fan who's like coming across the dub cast is probably just sitting there like sharpening his knife, like going like so for Ohio State fans to be kind of complaining about this and worrying about this. It is it is definitely, as you said, first world problem. So I find that interesting. Um, real quick thing that I, I wanted to get into, and, and this is not something that we have to spend a ton of time on, but I, it's something that I think will be a, I think it's a story that's not going to go away. I think it's something that will be talked about more as the season approaches. And that is some of the stuff around injuries, playing fields, things like that, uh, field turf, et cetera. Texas is going back to grass. Okay, they they made that kind of announcement here recently. Just um, real quick, before we jump even further into this, I just want to point out it is episode four twenty of the Dubcast, and Johnny just could <laughs> not help himself. He had to work gr- a grass topic in there somehow. Well, you know, so it's it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, happy Mother's good. Day, Mom! Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> My mom is definitely listening to this, so Happy Mother's Day. And uh, if anyone else I know is listening to this, it's not, it's a coincidence. We're, t- we're talking about stadium turf. Now we're talking about stadium turf. Hey, does this matter? Is, is this a thing or do you think, I actually think it's a thing. I think this is something that players care about. And I think it's going to be a narrative that will t- be talked about more and more, particularly what's going to happen is some big name players going to hurt themselves. They're going to get an ankle injury. They're going to knee injury. They're going to blame it on the turf. I think this is a story that will continue to be talked about. Am I crazy? Is this No, is this you're not. Of- it happened okay. in the NFL this past season and it right. happened with an, a player that Ohio State fans are familiar with in uh, Rashad Gary. That's right. Uh, with the, with the Green Bay Packers and he he was very quick to uh make that claim and I believe one of the Bosa brothers actually like backed up his comments. I mm-hmm. could be completely off base in that. I might be misremembering that, but I I know that there were several NFL players that were very quick to echo what Gary's sentiments were about the injury relative to the impact that playing surface had on it. Um, I think if you're interested in seeing players have the most consistent success they can in the safest way possible, which is what you should want as a fan, then you should probably be listening to their concerns about this. And uh, if you're hearing you know, enough of the same opinion relative to, you know, seeing a pattern of this kind of of injury happening. I I think it's worth, you know, putting a fix in. Um, Nick Nick Bosa in November said, I really think field turf is a problem in the NFL and the turf I played on in New York was brand new. It was super soft. And apparently they rolled cement roller uh, over twice after the game because we had two ACLs and a bunch of other injuries on it. So there you well, thank, go. Thank you for backing me up on that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, man, like I know that the, uh, the claim with Ohio stadium is that the water table is all jacked up or some kind of thing. When they lowered the playing field, they messed up the turf, whatever. I remember I was in college when they made that transition, actually in 2006, I think was the last I think that was even maybe even the last game, the Michigan game, the one V two Michigan game was the last time they actually played on grass because I remember storming that field and pulling up some of the turf and then losing it in a Wendy's immediately afterwards. Um, That's tough. Yeah, I know. I was really, I was pissed about that, but 
you know, the thing is, is that that turf, that was bad. It was really bad. The grass that year was horrendous. If you look and go back and, and take a look at the uh, highlights from that game, from, from that 1v2 game in 2006, you can actually still see the script Ohio on it during the game. <laughs> because the the grass was so worn down and just in bad shape and just them marching the the you know the band marching and that uh formation just left an immediate impression that lasted the entire game so there was there were definitely issues with it i don't know i i think that any sport really needs to be played on grass i've you know i i remember when i was in high school i played a few soccer games on field turf and you know, I, this was a, at schools that were really hoity-toity schools. You know, they invested a ton of money and that was considered to be like the next big thing. And I remember going, this sucks. Like, I hate doing this. And this is, you know, when soccer is a little bit different, you got to do a lot more, you know, you're doing a lot more running and there's a lot, you know, that, that goes into the way the ball bounces and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I can't imagine in football and especially at the level that these guys are playing that they really want to mess with, anything that could enhance injuries or anything like that. And so, especially as players start to get more of a voice, I think this is going to be more of a big deal. I would love to see grass return to Ohio stadium. I don't know if it's really a problem or not, or if it was just a, you know, cost effective thing for them to do it. I also know that since they just replaced the field turf, they're probably not going to be super excited about putting in grass. Um, But I'm curious to see if other teams, both in the big 10 and other big name teams like Texas, kind of put some pressure on old Gene Smith and some of the other guys to say, Hey, you know, this is, this is what we want. This is what it should look like. I got to feel that Ohio state university, Ohio state university has the capability to install some type of like, I don't know, semi-decent grass field. Like I, with all the capabilities, the, the billions of dollars in endowments, does the like land grant some university way to figure that out? Does the land grant university have a good agriculture program? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Can they? I mean, so here's it? here's my my very you know dinosaur opinion about this as a former football player. Uh, right. I was very one of the reasons there weren't many times I was grateful to be a lineman as opposed to a skill position player. But one of those cases was when we would go to a visitor's field and we would be playing on turf. And I would see the the my teammates that would you know be touching the football. I played center, so I actually touched the football every play. But you know, oh, I'd let yeah. it go and then wouldn't see it again. Um, but you know, my other teammates that were going to be touching the ball, uh, they would all be getting you know turf tape on elbows and you know exposed parts that are going to be potentially skidding on the surface yeah, yeah. Um, because they recognize that if you don't do that, you're going to be making regular contact with a surface that's going to skin the ever living hell off of your skin effectively. Yeah. Uh, so, and I would see that plenty of times and even the, you know, select times that I got, you know, knocked onto the ground during over the course of the game I would even end up getting stuff skinned and it wouldn't even be that bad, but it would just be off of, you know, glances with the surface just from falling and making hard contact. I can't even imagine if you're at like the level of D one college football and like, you know, teetering on the NFL where every time you're getting tackled, it's ba- if you're effectively getting in a simulated car accident. And then you mm-hmm. have to factor in skidding across turf on top of that. If your skin is exposed to that, I that, feel 
Everybody, everybody, every lineman needs to be wearing like the, the, you know, the, the motorcyclist suit. They got to wear the, you know, the impact. Well, I, I used to wear forearm pads because I used to do this cheeky little thing where, you know, it's illegal to do hands in the face, but, and they, my coaches used to make fun of me because they're like, what are you? You're like in, like, you're playing kindergarten pop Warner. Like you, why are you wearing forearm (laughs) pads? And it's because I would. It, it it actually was partially because of the thing about the – I would see the thing with my teammates with the turf, and I'd be like, I don't want that to happen Not in me. my arms. No. So that was part of the reason. But the other reason was instead of getting hands in the face, I would do forearm to the face, and you'd never get called for it. It oh, was a loophole go. in the rules I found, and it let me block everybody <laughs> bigger than me. And they never <laughs> penalized me for it, and it would make well, everybody mad. That's you know what Great and then that sounds that sounds to me like somebody working smarter not harder. I think that's exactly what you need. Sounds to do. like someone very 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 well adjusted individual that should be on a podcast. <laughs> that's right. Um I don't like I said I don't know if this will actually get done anytime soon at Ohio Stadium. They, they just put in as I said new field turf. I think it looks pretty good. I don't know how it is to play on it. But I will also say if Marvin Harrison goes out there and blows an ACL you're probably going to hear a lot more about it. And I know, oh, you just jinxed. There's no such thing as a jinx. Don't worry about it. It's, you remember that picture that Garrick took during the season of like when he oh my God. that sideline catch with <laughs> the Ben and the, that's <laughs> what I was like thinking of relative to the turf when he landed was like, I really, really hope that those, those bendy ligaments of his hold oh up. God. That's one of the craziest. That has to be for real though. That's one of the craziest football pictures I've ever he, seen. He went, I, he I went no viral for that. that. I think he got like 50,000 likes on that. So shout out to our wonderful photographer at 11 Warriors. That was sick. What a, what a great picture on his part. That was excellent. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, I think any sport, like I said, is, is better played on natural grass. I mean, that's how you play growing up. That's how it should look, I think, in the pros. So we'll see if that actually happens or not in the semi-near future or or to the far future. We'll see. I don't I, know. The one the one other thing I would say that's important to keep in mind in this is that it, it turf is suitable for the way that Ohio State, in theory, wants to run its offense. That's true. So it's easier to run a track meet when you're running on a turf surface. And that's also, I think, part of the reason why Gene Smith is very much in favor of you know, playing these high profile Ohio State games at somewhere like Lucas Oil, not just only, you know, getting out of the elements, uh, but, you know, really playing in a controlled environment where the offense can thrive. So I, I understand the argument for turf from that perspective. But if the players are actively telling you that they're concerned about that playing surface relative to their ligaments, we really, really need to be considering a change here on a national day, especially if we've put so much resources into reducing concussions across all levels of football. If the, if the primary objective is player safety, why would we only be interested in protecting the top half of the body? Uh, that's the primary I, objective is my entertainment and also my thing. <laughs> and the other thing is I don't want – I don't want any kind of inkling that the players that I'm watching might be like big wussies. So if, <laughs> if, if I hear that, I'm going to be really upset and I'm going to say no way. And you know what? They shouldn't get, they ha- they should have to earn water. I don't think they should just be given water either. I think they should earn it. And then I want to see three or four guys just throwing up at all times. Um, you so are yeah, one tough can, customer. Walk it off. For a walk librarian. off an ACL. Do you really, I mean, come on. It, 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 does it sound that bad? It really does. <laughs> Walk it off. Rub some dirt on it. Rub some dirt on it. 
Jeez. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, get it to ask us anything. Before we do that, we want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Drygoods.11warriors.com. It's summertime. Uh, go ahead and, and uh, well, it's not summer, but it's almost summer. So go ahead and, and get some of that flashy shirts to impress all your friends when you go to the pool, the club, or the amusement park. <laughs> Dragons at 11warriors.com. I didn't write that. That's not part of copy. I just, I don't know. <laughs> That's where Who I write my those. I go to the club. Um, all right. This first question <laughs> is from Kevin who says, I recently got four stitches in my lower lip at baseball practice. Oh, yikes. It was by far the worst injury I've ever seen on the baseball field. I bled profusely. I bet. That sucks. What is the worst injury you've ever seen or gotten on a sports field? I imagine as a center, you've probably seen some gnarly stuff. No. Um, no? Uh, well, no, that's not. Oh, seen? Okay. Well, yeah, seen or, or had. Dur- or, yeah. Durability was one of my my stand, standout traits uh, in my illustrious football career uh, that, that went all the way to winning a co-ed championship at Ohio State. Oh, let's so go. Very, very proud. Didn't endure too many injuries myself. I did. In terms of baseball, my best friend in like I think it was third or fourth grade, he he was a like a travel caliber pitcher, and I was like I was good, but I wasn't quite good enough to you know like get out of the town. Oh, and sure. uh, my my friend, you know, he definitely did do it on purpose, but he be like he he beamed me in the funny bone, and I oh, I was God. in tears. Like I I like he and he felt bad. He apologized to me after the game, and you know we grew up like best friends. We were cool, but I. I have never like in terms of pain. I I literally fe- I I had never get like I because I knew you get beamed in baseball. You're like you know you're you're not supposed to cry. You're not so if you especially if you get beamed above the waist. You're like unless it's in the head. You're supposed to just you know kind of walk it off and oh whatever. sure yeah, yeah. I went to the ground immediately. <laughs> I my funny bone was screaming. Yeah, it would be. Dude. That's painful. It was bad like i i didn't want to be dramatic but it was like i had never felt pain like that in my arm in my life it's because it's just you're just nailing that nerve and yeah you get hit there i mean yeah it sounds awful awful. yeah i will say you know i i mostly i was a swimmer so not a ton of injuries there although i had one really scary thing where i like literally like knocked myself out on a diving on on a really gnarly dive attempt that i did just something stupid on and i like knocked myself out for a second or two woke up underwater that freaked me out oh um that was that was that was just me being stupid um so i i played soccer all the way through high school and i wasn't very good but i played on a pretty good team and some of the teams we would play i mean they were fairly i mean we're talking about teams that would win state championships and stuff like that We, we were pretty competitive with them and soccer tradition in Ohio. Well, you know, the thing is, is like a lot of these teams took it really seriously and there oh, were yeah. like fights, you know, after games. And I saw a bunch of guys get like concussed because they would get elbows in the head. And, and oh, I've been to like a few that. Ohio state rec league games. Yeah. I mean, people were, people were like throwing elbows. Like, it was, it was, it could be pretty rough. I remember this one guy and he was, probably the highest motor i've ever seen on a uh on like an athlete in person i mean the guy just would go and go and go like for all 90 minutes of the game i'm just just i mean i don't even remember maybe 70 whatever the minutes were in high school uh sure he was just non-stop class 
Yeah. <laughs> but just the dude was nonstop, 100% all the time, and just would not, you know, he would get knocked down, get immediately back up, run full sprint, whatever. I saw this guy, though, I guess he was ticking off the other team pretty, pretty hardcore because he was just everywhere and he was making plays and, you know, getting assists and scored a goal, I think, in that game. And one guy, they were both going up for the ball and uh, this guy, Eric, he um, he went down. He was a little bit lower than the other dude. And the other dude jumped really high and cleated him right square in the face, like right. And I don't mean like kicked him. I mean. Like the Antonio cleat. Brown to the Browns punter. Oh my God. That's basically what it was, except oh, directly to this kid's face. Ooh. And <laughs> so, I mean, and then like he bent backwards and the guy like stepped on him as he like went down to the ground. And after the game, I mean, during the game, but after the game, you could see like the impression of this guy's foot on Eric's face. Wow. And so we actually took a picture of it and it's in the uh, yearbook for that year um of him just with these cleats. do you marks. still have the picture i do it's in the it's in the yearbook it's sitting on my shelf um he was a really cool dude but yeah i i remember seeing that and of course i mean he was out of the game after that because he had a concussion and it was it was bad but um uh that was i remember perhaps we'll share there. that on the dubcast twitter i'll see week. if i can find it <laughs> I, the thing is is like you know people would get pretty heated in some of those games, but I remember after that happening, everybody on the field going, Ooh, we went a little too far with that. one. <laughs> that was, that was a little much. So yeah, that one shout out to Eric. He was a, uh, he was a cool guy Bro. and uh, has fully recovered as, as far as I know. Those, those games, they could get heated. I, I remember feeling Dude, we go over to Waynesville. Way. Those, those guys did not mess around. That was, that was always brutal. Was my bad. friends like pulled me out like cold. I hadn't played since like AYSO days. Like, mm-hmm. and my friend, like we're like we need a sub like can you start for us tonight and i was like yeah okay sure whatever so i like they they kick off and the ball rolls out to like the sideline or whatever and i mm-hmm. i run out there and i'm it's it's me and this guy are on a collision course and i haven't yeah. done anything for like i think i'm a junior at this point and i'm i'm you know closer to lineman weight than i was i, I lost like 45 pounds freshman year so i was in like great shape and then i slowly kind of gained it back up until like i graduated so mm-hmm. i wasn't in very good shape but i was like still decent in terms of what i picked up but me and this guy were on this collision course and i remember thinking it was a rec league game i hadn't played any soccer all i had done was play fifa for like two and a half years in college <laughs> that's basically so the same thing though that's all of my tackling experience is just tapping x and the just you know <laughs> smacking the the like daylights out of some of these uh-huh. people it's like so i i dude i I like it was perfectly clean. Like my friends told me afterwards, they're like, dude, you have nothing to feel bad about. It was so clean. There was, you did it perfectly, but I still just, my soul felt guilty because I felt I completely (laughs) just decked this guy for the ball. Oh, like literally first like pass out of the opening, like kickoff, just absolutely decked this kid on the sideline. The first play I made two and a half years out of sock. And it hey, set the tone. What? It set the tone for the rest of the game. I and I say, felt so, know. I felt know. so bad that I put my friends in that bloodbath. 
You know what though? At least you feel at least you feel guilty about it. There are, there are other people who have related stories about uh, literally punching people at at uh, indoor soccer games. I didn't realize how crazy it got in Ohio, man. But that oh, energy, this one this one takes place in Michigan, the, but we'll we'll leave soccer. it at that. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so anyway. Thank you for that question. That's excellent. And I, I had totally, you know what? I had not even, was not even thinking, I didn't even thought about uh, that incident with Eric um, for a long time. And then I just remember being on the sidelines for that going, oh my God, they killed Eric. <laughs> but he's fine. He's fine. Uh, okay. Next one here. This is from our good friend, Alvin, who wants to know, as we turn the corner into the summer days, what is your ideal outdoor temperature slash weather? Well, I live in Miami, so uh, that's right. whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did shorts weather all the time now. Uh, you know, is that your is that your preferred? Do you do you like the beach weather? You know, the the eighties chilling on the beach. Oh my god, dude! Like, look, I'm gonna be honest. I I hear so many people romanticize like the Midwest. I grew up in Chicago, so I, yeah, I right. get it. People talk about oh, I love I love the oh the overcast reminds me of those those cool autumn days in the Midwest. It's like you know what's nicer than that? Uh, watching the sunrise on the beach. You there's. <laughs> There's the only Can't beaches in Ohio. Michigan? What are you talking about? You the only like beaches Michigan. in Ohio are in Cleveland. And I, 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 I'm not, that's a long way to go for a beach as my grandma used to say. Uh, so I, I'm no interest in that. Uh-huh. I'm very, very happy down here in Florida and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything weather wise. We've got our hurricanes, right. but you know what? A hurricane is just a tropical tornado and you, there's plenty of those in the uh, Midwest as well. So you know what? You take the bad with the good and uh, the cloudy day. There's cloudy days down here. There's cloudy days everywhere. But you know what? The days when it's good up here or down here, rather, you you, you can't beat them in the Midwest. So you know what? I love it. I'm a miserable person and I, you know, <laughs> the truth of the matter is I don't, I don't like love the gray days. I'm not, I'm not going to say like, yeah, I, that's way better than when it's nice out. I'm not saying that. However, I will say it definitely does not impact me in nearly the way that I see it impact other people. And, and I'm just, I don't know what it is, but, and maybe like, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just don't like that. seeing people swoon over an overcast. It's it drives me crazy because it's like you, oh, no, the, cl- no. the clouds I mean, are not exclusive to the Midwest. No, it's I like know, the, and I'm not it's the that same way. phenomenon in New York with like sure. the bodegas. It's like no, there's gas stations that sell food everywhere in <laughs> the United right. States. Yeah, people can get a sandwich. Um, no, it's, it's just that it doesn't bother me. You know, I mean, you may not see the sun for a couple of weeks at a time in the, in the winter in Columbus. That's that's just a thing that happens. Oh, yeah. I don't love that, but I don't hate it either. It doesn't really bother me that much. I will say that for me, my ideal weather, I mean, it is like the two weeks of fall that we get right in October where it's, you know, it's the best season. Oh, my God. Where it's like mid 50s, upper 50s. You're going out. It's see, I actually like when it's really sunny like that. Uh, because then you can just enjoy it and bask in it. You know, it gets kind of colder at night. You can get around a fire. I that's that's really my jam is the mid fifties, upper fifties in the daytime. So that's ask us anything. Thank you for sending those in. That was excellent. We'll continue answering them all throughout the summer. Let's do some quick hitters on our way out of here. Number three, Ohio State men's tennis beats number fifteen Arizona. They're going to the NCAA quarterfinals. I feel like we keep update him every week but that's because they keep winning and kicking ass so there you go men's tennis uh doing awesome they're gonna um go ahead and i think their next matchup is against number six georgia who just took out harvard so that's gonna be thursday in orlando george 
if you want to roll on over and check them out, 5 p.m., 7.30 p.m., hopefully they can keep that momentum going. Uh, shout out to them. That's awesome. Another thing that we want to mention, this is a big, awesome thing. Uh, Ohio State offensive lineman Avery Henry announced that his cancer is now in remission. That freaking rules. Uh, he was announced cancer-free. He's got a few more treatments, but, um, you know, honestly, huge, huge, huge uh, big ups to him. That's that's incredible. And, uh, you know, it's also awesome that uh, uh, Ohio State, you know, has those kind of facilities to help uh, people through that journey. Um, he did that at the James Cancer uh, Hospital. And uh, I don't know. I think that's that's just a really great feel-good story. That's awesome. Good for him and, and you know. I'm, I'm good for the entire Ohio state family for that. That's, that's a great story. I love Absolutely. it. Last thing we want to talk about real quick. Okay. So this is, we, we got to devote a few minutes to this Stetson Bennett uh, has been in college. Stetson Bennett, for those of you, you know, your Georgia quarterback, right? He's, he's been in college uh, since 2017. Uh, Georgia football just released a, uh, <laughs> I don't think they really intended for this tweet to blow up the way it did, but they, they tweeted out their spring graduates and uh, Stetson was not, not part of that, that picture, that image. He was not, he was not included. And so uh, the, the question is, did Stetson Bennett manage to get in, in the six years or so that he's been at Georgia, did he manage to get a degree? And, and some people would say, no, that would indicate that he has not uh, graduated from the university of Georgia. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started. Part of me, you know, as an educator, I'm like, oh, geez, Stetson, what are you doing? Like, come on. But on the other hand, part of me also finds that extremely funny. <laughs> he was able to stay in college and, and not get that. And, you know, there are a lot of things that you can make fun of Stetson Bennett for and, and say that, you know, this guy's a, you know, a dummy. But, um, I mean, I guess that could be one of them. But honestly, it's it's one that I find more funny than like, you know potentially endangering to other people, I guess, like some of his other stuff. In my, in my travels around the various states in our union, I, I, I make a point of stopping in at, at a Waffle House always just to, you know. You a, know what? I'm really glad way to that, get that a... continuity is there with 11 <laughs> Dubcast co-hosts because if you hadn't, that would have made me a little sad. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that about you. That you enjoy well, the Waffle House. Oh, I, I listen, it was my mother's, since it's a Mother's Day episode, Waffle House was my mother's pregnancy cravings. So you know what? The, the That's where my mom the and dad had their first date was at oh, a Waffle House. <laughs> In Middletown, the, which is... the chemical in the batter is in my bones. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I am forged in the in the press and the iron of the Waffle House. Um, <laughs> anyway, forged, forged by the Waffle Iron, oh, yeah, by the right. heat of the by the you're, heat of the grill. You're not. You're like Stalin, except you know waffles instead of you know communism. Right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, but the reason I do that is just because you know. Well, yeah, you know, I I love a good waffle, but also I, you know, it's a it's a cool little thing. Just you know, pop, and it's a nice way to get a a, a sampling of the local flavor. Sure. Uh, by not, but in a way that is you know weighable against the rest of the country by like a national standard. And I remember I was in. I think it was last year. It was. It was in New Brunswick in Georgia. It was between when I was running between South Carolina and Florida. And mm-hmm. it was one of the more memorable experiences I've had at a Waffle House because I've, I haven't actually seen a fight anywhere in any of the times I've been in one. Um, 
which I know it kind of has that reputation based on the videos that you see that go around social media, but they're generally some of the most peaceful places I've been in, regardless of what hour that you're in them. Now I have seen plenty with, as I, you know, like to refer to them, crispy critters floating around the perimeter and sometimes on the inside or in the bathrooms. But for the most part, generally nice place to be. There's a detente. No matter what craziness is happening, you know, around the waffle house the waffle house is a sacred place but in that's right but in new brunswick georgia last year there were two waffle house waitresses that were having a very spirited argument while i was waiting for my my food to be served and they were arguing over stetson bennett's hometown (laughs) why and bear and i want you to bear in mind this is when stetson bennett had only one won national championship for the university of georgia he had not yet won a second one for them dogs so Mm -hmm. he was already an important enough figure throughout that state off of one title win to uh be a topic of spirited debate uh in a very uh rural waffle house so you know what's funny so beloved on his wikipedia page they they take very you know, they're taking a lot of care, I guess, to detail his early life and to where he actually grew. So in first grade, his family moved from Atlanta to Nahunta. I don't know how to pronounce that, Georgia. And then in eighth grade, his family moved to Blackshear, Georgia. So both locales, I think, could claim him as uh, as their native son, I guess. Um, For sure. If, if that's really what you want to do. Well, but my point is he he was already beloved in that state and the people made the joke that even if he didn't end up getting drafted to the NFL, he was going to go on to have the most successful career in insurance sales in the history oh, of, of Georgia just because of the the image that he had with bringing them back to or just being the guy at the front of the ship on their way back to national relevancy. So now I think that has only even multiplied even more. And you know what? That guy made contributions to the university through that, that, you know, I'm sure he's probably very content with what he accomplished there. He probably doesn't care if he walks out of there with a piece of paper or not. And it's not really our business. And if, if he didn't, he presumably could still go back and, and get one, I would think, right. even though and, he wasn't you know on the graduate list. And a lot of people, you know what, we kind of poo-pooed this, I think maybe in Slack. I didn't poo-poo, but some people poo-poo this in Slack saying, like, <laughs> oh, if you, you know, grad, if you left Ohio State without a degree, would you go back and get it? A lot of people would. A lot of people would, even if they're, like, in the NFL and, you know, making millions of dollars. A lot of people still want to go back and do that. And we've seen a lot of guys come back. We just that. saw Justin Fields do it while being That's the right. starting quarterback for the Bears, which is That's right. And he and he got like a fi- he got some sort of finance degree, I think, too. He didn't get yeah. like a, you know, animal husbandry degree or something like that. He, you Actually, know, got a legit super he got a very that. legitimate piece of paper. It would have been a good thing for being a Bears quarterback. That's right. But yeah, no, he he got his degree and he put in the work. And I think a lot of guys would do that. So you know what? If he goes back and do, does that, then then good for him and uh, you know, hopefully it keeps the uh, the extracurriculars to a minimum. But if he wants to go back and get a, a degree, all you know, all the power to him. And I do think it's very funny that he was able to do that for as long as he did without attaining a degree. But you know what? Well, you know, uh, it's his life. Let him live it. By the way, real quick, you had another thing that you want to say before we get out of here. Uh, so, uh, interesting uh, punchy fight news. 
right? Punch, punchy fight news. Uh, mixed martial arts is the sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to disagree. Oh, it's okay. No, it's it's all punchy. Oh, no, this is a big deal, man. This is, and I only listen. I, I I've become kind of an MMA nut over the course of the last year. It was always kind of my forbidden love going back to high school, but I really have kind of thrown myself into it over the last year. And uh, I know, you know, Dan Dan Hope is a big fan of it from a, a betting perspective, and our our other guy on the beat, Griffin Strom, is an app even more of an MMA nut than I am. So it uh. You know, we we love to monitor these sorts of developments, and we've had. I I'm not going to try to you know shoehorn these into you know the dubcast uh, you know discussion too often, but we've had a big local development uh, last night, and it was Matt the Immortal Brown at age 42 years old in the UFC fighting in mixed martial arts professionally since 2005, got a first round knockout over Mr. Court McGee in Charlotte, North Carolina at UFC fight night and tied the UFC record for most career KOs with the great Derek Lewis, uh, who is himself a heavyweight fighter. Uh, Matt Brown is, you know, 170 at welterweight, so not, not the biggest guy, but certainly not, you know, competing at the smallest of classes either. But Guys in their 40s don't finish fights in the first round. And Matt Brown is a uh, son of Jamestown, Ohio, uh, right down the road here in Columbus. And uh, he got, when the UFC was here last year in Columbus, I shouldn't say here, I'm not in Columbus, but when the UFC was in Columbus last year, he lost a gut-wrenching split decision uh, that many felt that he should have won. Many feel that he got a bit screwed over in his hometown. Mm-hmm. And for him to bounce back and uh, get the kind of win he did last night at 42 years old, he asked the crowd afterwards. He said, I just tied the record. I don't have it. You know, should I come back and get it? And, you know, the crowd obviously went nuts. And you course, know, he yeah. feels pretty encouraged to come back. Connor McGregor on Twitter this morning was quick to point out that Matt Brown has tied the record and McGregor now wants it for himself. And uh, Matt Brown responded in kind and said, uh, I will gladly fight you for it if you'd like that. So we'll see if Mr. McGregor responds to Mr. Brown's challenge. I'm sure they could have that fight in Dublin, Ohio, and both of them would get a kick out of it. So I would like to see it. By the way, uh, great tidbit from Matt Brown's Wikipedia page. Brown's interest in MMA started with drunkenly practicing various submission holds that he had seen on VHS tapes featuring Ken Shamrock. (laughs) I, Johnny, and this goes not only for you, but for anybody, that guy, the, one of the things that was so incredible about that fight yesterday is that both of those guys have had extremely incredible comeback stories from drug addiction. Oh and yeah. For both of them. I mean, those, that's why he's Matt Brown, the immortal, right? I mean, that's right. So for anybody that isn't familiar with that guy's story, that is a, a local in Columbus, I would highly recommend you go look up you know, Matt Brown, the guy after yesterday, a lot of people are thinking he's going to be a UFC hall of famer. And, uh, you know, what a continued, very, very excellent figure for the MMA tradition in the state of Ohio, Matt Brown, congrats on tying the UFC KO record. And, uh, we're, we're very, very proud of you. Go buy some immortal coffee. That's a free plug for, uh, from the dubcast. <laughs> there you go. All right. Last thing it's mother's day. Real quick, what is a Mother's Day? Well, it doesn't have to be a Mother's Day, but what's a, a sports memory with with your mom uh, that comes to mind on this day? 
I've got I've got a good one relative to what you said about uh, first dates earlier, but I'll I'll let you go first because okay yeah so one of the things is so again I'm from Southwestern Ohio and big UC Bearcats fan when I was a kid like big big UC Bearcats not with their football but their basketball was big you know big into like you know Nick Van Exel and uh, you know Kenyon Martin and Danny Forts and all those guys those are I love those dudes and so the Crosstown Shootout obviously is a Probably, in my opinion, it's it's like up there with the best college rivalries. Like, period. It's it's awesome. Xavier and Cincinnati. It's it's a big honking deal in Southwestern Ohio for sure. And so, my mom and I would watch that every year. And and we actually, she would be rooting for Xavier. She grew up Catholic, so she'd be rooting for Xavier. I'd be rooting for UC. And uh, we would watch together, and we'd always like switch sides at halftime. So we would sit on on the couch. Uh, whatever side of the court that the, you know, the team we were rooting for was on. And then at halftime, we'd switch. So I always enjoyed that. That was always a real fun memory of my childhood. And uh, yeah, thanks mom for, for being such a big part of that. And also supporting me throughout all my uh, you know sports foibles as a child. So happy mother's day. Well, Johnny, uh, this, you'll, you'll find this interesting. I thought it was funny. You brought up first dates earlier because uh, the, I don't, I don't have a ton of, like sports memories relative to my my mom most of that has been kind of concentrated into my my uh the upbringing my dad has imparted on me Mm -hmm. um both of them were ohio state grads but i i did technically grow up in a house divided because my my mother went to michigan for grad school oh okay and so tale as old as time by the way right but you know kind of as a joke it my dad would frame it as the oh you know we're the ohio state camp and your your mom is a michigan (laughs) fan thing but the funny thing is their first date was an ohio state michigan game wow and so that that, i mean that like right so that that you know this rivalry has always had a very special place in my heart because it is literally it is one of the it is one of the reasons I have materialized. So out of <laughs> out of the out of the years and the decades of hate that have you know swirled around a, a land dispute for Toledo and the Upper Peninsula and whatever right. else, out of it has Who really has won been, the Toledo War. If you think about it, well, out of it came the seventh co-host of the Dubcast. Well, there so you go. It was good for something that I, I won. I won. <laughs> I am the winner. There we go. Well, that's great. I, I, I think that's fantastic. And, and like we said, you know, shout out to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day, including my wife. Shout out to her. She's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll be it for this week. We'll continue answering all your questions. Ask us anything. Continue breaking down Ohio State men's tennis because that's pretty awesome. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you next week. 